بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء وسيد المرسلين وشفي المذنبين سيدنا ونبينا أبي القاسم محمد اللهم صل على محمد وآل محمد وعلى آل بيت طيبين طاهرين لعصيما مولانا وسيدي صاحب العصر والزمان روحي وأرواه العالمين له الفداء وأجل الله تعالى فرجه الشريف ولانت دائمة على أدائهم ومنكر فضائلهم من الآن إلى قيام يوم الدين أما بعد رب شرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل لقدة من لساني يفقه كولي As we continue in our look at chapter number 68 of the Noble Quran, Surah Al-Qalam This is the chapter that we've been going over for the last few days, for the last few sessions in this blessed month of Ramadan And as we continue in our discussion this evening, we look at the topic that comes up in three specific verses of this surah, verses number 5, verse number 6, and verse number 7, in which we want to look at the topic of don't be quick to judge. See how Allah speaks about this in the Qur'an and how it also relates to us in our day-to-day age. Let me first begin by reviewing the three verses of Surah Al-Qalam. Again, chapter 68. Um, many uh, discussions we've already had about why this surah was named such. I don't want to go back into that. Uh, but just to go to the three verses for today. So Allah begins in verse number 5, after A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitani Rajeem. فَسَتُبْسِرُوا وَيُبْسِرُونَ بِأَيِّكُمُ الْمَفْتُونَ إِنَّ رَبَّكَ هُوَ أَعْلَمُ بِمَنْ ظَلَّ عَنْ سَبِيلِهِ وَهُوَ أَعْلَمُ بِالْمُحْتَدِينَ Allah says, and you, O Muhammad, shall soon know, and so will these disbelievers also soon know, as to which of the two of you is afflicted with madness. Surely your Lord knows best those who go astray from His path, and He, God, also knows best those who follow the right guidance. If you were following in the last few days, we brought up the topic which was conveyed in verse number 2, in which the polytheists, the disbelievers of Mecca, when they wanted to attack Rasulullah, when they wanted to attack the Prophet, and obviously the message of Islam, they realized that they could not attack Islam from a logical perspective because the religion just makes too much sense. A religion that bases itself on equality of humanity, a religion which looks at humanity at an equal footing, a religion which gives women rights in a society when women had no rights, a religion which said slavery was to be abolished, a religion which called for all of these forms of equality, when the disbelievers who didn't want to follow this form of life, when they realize they could not attack the logic of religion, what do they do? And what have they done in the past to the prophets? And what do they do even in today's day and age? Is they enact what we referred to a few days back as character assassination. They began to level accusations against the person of Rasulullah. Despite the fact that for 40 years, Rasulullah was known as As-Sadiq and Al-Amin, the, tr- the, the truthful one who never spoke a lie, and the one who was the trustworthy, that you could give him a, a, a amanat, a trust, and he would give it back to you. A man who had all of those traits and many more, they had to engage in character assassination, began to call him names. And when you look in the Qur'an, you see that three titles were given to the Prophet. Three derogatory titles were given to Rasulullah. They said, you are majnoon. You're insane. This guy is mad. How can you follow one who is majnoon? They realized that that wouldn't work. 
So then they began to say he is a sha'ir, a poet. And because the, the verses of the Qur'an came with a beautiful resonance, and the recitation of Qur'an was like, like a style of poetry, although the Qur'an is not poetry, and we looked at this the other day, that in Surah Yasin we even say that this prophet is not a poet. وَمَا أَلَّمْنَاهُ شِعْرًا وَمَا يَنْبَغِيلًا إِنْ هُوَ إِلَّا ذِكْرٌ وَقُرَانٌ مُبِينٌ Because they wanted to dissuade people from the Qur'an, they said this is a book of poetry, you know, just like any poet that you have in, the, in, in a society. And they also said he is a sa'ir, he is a magician. Because how can words, how can words change a person? They said this is magic, this is not a prophet. And so what Allah is now saying after Allah told the Prophet in the last verse that we looked at yesterday, مَا أَنْتَ بِنِعْمَةِ رَبِّكَ بِمَجْنُونَ By the grace of your Lord, you are not insane, you are not going crazy or delusional. Now Allah tells the Prophet, You wait, don't judge them, let's see what happens. You will soon know what the reality is, O Prophet. And so will these disbelievers. They'll come to know the reality. Sooner or later, the truth will be manifest. And then Allah says, They're calling you crazy. They're saying you're a madman. You're insane. You know what? Allah says, wait a bit. Give it a bit of time. The truth will become manifest. Who is a true insane person in this entire equation of life? And then Allah ends it, إِنَّ رَبَّكَ هُوَ أَعْلَمُ بِمَنْ عَنْ سَبِيلِي your Lord indeed knows the one who is gone away from the straight path, who has been diverted from the true reality. And your Lord knows who is truly guided and on that straight path. The first thing I want to speak about is these false accusations against Rasulullah and advice from Allah on how to deal with them. I mentioned last night in our discussion and even previously, that this form of character assassination where you try to label somebody because you don't like them, this has been an ongoing trend throughout history. When you read the Qur'an, you see that every single man and woman who has been given some divine representation, divine responsibility, yes, we don't have women prophets, but we have ladies like Maryam, the mother of Prophet Jesus, peace be upon both of them, who also faced accusations in her society. But looking at prophets in, in, in the Qur'an, many of the prophets, I mean all of them were, were, were you know, insulted, were mocked, were derided. Many of their stories are mentioned in the Qur'an, how they were insulted. We see for example with Nabi Nuh, Prophet Noah, it got to a point where people would stick their fingers in their ears whenever he would walk by. And they would take their cloak, their abba, and put it over their head. They would cover themselves over and start to run away from Nabi Nuh. Right? They didn't want to accept this message. And this was again a thread, and this is a thread in all of the prophets of the Qur'an. Although Allah might not give us all of their stories, but we see indications. Look at Nabi Isa, Prophet Jesus, peace be upon him. One of the greatest prophets of God, one of the Ulul Azam. And how much torture and torment he went through in his life. You know, even if you look at it from the Christian perspective, they also believe that he was tormented, he was tortured. Obviously, they go to the extent of the crucifixion. We don't accept that. 
But everything short of crucifixion, we believe, happened to Prophet Jesus. He went through a lot of difficulties. His mother was insulted. His mother was mocked in society. So this has been a thread throughout history. And it continues even in the 21st century. You know, we see that even when great scholars, Maraja Taklid from our community, when they pass fatawa, when they pass rulings, one of the things that many people say when we don't want to follow the ruling of the marja, we say, oh, well, you know, he lives in, in Iraq, he lives in Lebanon, he lives in Iran. How can somebody who is so far away from our time in the West, how can they relate to you and I? These fatwas are just some old man sitting in a foreign country. And we unfortunately, and you know, I'm not saying we in this room, we as a, as a community, you look at social media, and you see how this you know, begins to snowball, and how people begin to curse and insult the Maraja Taklid. Especially in Ramadan. You know, 29 days, 30 days we fast, 18, 19, 20 hour fasts, and then we have this debate, when is Eid going to be? And it becomes not even a debate, but it becomes a free-for-all, where anybody who thinks they're anybody will go online and start to say, this maraja has this fatwa, this doesn't make sense to me, I don't understand you know, this moon-sighting business, why can't we all unite on one date? Why can't we just have one Eid solve the problems? Obviously there's an answer to that question, and it's not a part of my theme for today, but just for us to realize that character assassination didn't stop with Rasulullah. It didn't stop with our imams. It continues well beyond, even in today's day and age. We unfortunately, not again we as us in this room, we the global community, unfortunately we do this same action. When we align or misalign and we you know, put those kind of accusations against great scholars that they have no idea or that they have no you know, basis of an understanding. Salu ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad. So how does Allah say to deal with them? Does Allah tell Rasulullah, go around and insult the people, go around and make fun of them, go around and you know, talk about them in society? No, Allah makes it clear, فَسَتُبْسِرُوا وَيُبْسِرُونَ You wait, O Prophet, give it some time. You know, let, the, let, let, the, let the situation calm down a bit, and then everything will be made known. And you look at it today, 1400 years since the day that Rasulullah brought this religion, 1430 some odd years since Islam was a new birth. And today 1.6, 1.8 billion people around the world follow Islam. A religion which sprung in the desert of Arabia where there was nothing, there was, it was an you know, uninhabited region, there was nothing there. And yet today people as far as China are Muslims, People in North America are coming into Islam and leaving their old religion. How can it be? If all of those accusations, Majnoon, madman, he was a poet, he was a magician, if those were true, then today you would not see people coming into Islam from other religions and leaving their birth religion to come into Islam. Why would you follow somebody who is known as a madman? That in itself is madness. So it shows us as Allah told us, just wait, give it some time. Let everything you know, boil and, and, and come to a close. And then we'll realize the realities of what is the truth and where is the falsehood. This verse is very interesting for another aspect. 
is that in this collection of verses, specifically the last verse, where it says that, إِنَّ رَبَّكَ هُوَ أَعْلَمُ بِمَنْ عَنْ سَبِيلِهِ وَهُوَ أَعْلَمُ بِالْمُحْتَدِينَ That your Lord knows those who have been dissuaded or on the wrong path, and He knows who those be- He knows best, those who are guided. This verse actually has a direct relevance to us as followers of the Ahlul Bayt, alayhum as-salatu was-salam. There's a very interesting occasion of revelation of this verse. And so let me mention it. And this is a book I've quoted in the past. Um, we talked about it a few weeks ago. Shawahid al-Tanzil li kawaid al A very prominent Sunni scholar, Al-Hakim al-Haskani. He lived about a thousand years ago. He writes a two-volume book. It's in Arabic. Unfortunately, it has yet to be translated into English. He writes a two-volume book of all of the ayat of the Qur'an in praise of the Ahlul Bayt. And he's not a follower of Ahlul Bayt in the way that we know it. He still follows his own you know, version of Islam, but yet he compiles two volumes close to about a thousand pages of all of the ayat of the Qur'an and how they relate to the Ahlul Bayt And he gives a direct hadith about this verse, this passage. Who are those who are misguided from Islam? And who are those who are on the right path? Let me share this hadith with us. I'll just give you the English because the Arabic is quite lengthy. The hadith says the following, and because the text is small, so let me read it out. Hadith he quotes is that he says, when the Quraysh, the, the, the non-believing, the polytheist Quraysh, when they saw the Prophet, prayers of Allah be upon him, giving preference to Ali ibn Abi Talib, and excessively extolling him, speaking greatness about him, they began to speak bad about Ali. The non-believers began to speak bad about Imam Ali because the Prophet was speaking too much about him. This is a problem people have. People who have a sickness in their hearts, they don't like you and I to talk about Imam Ali. They say, talk about all the Sahaba, they're all good people, talk about all the Khulafa. But Allah's Messenger showed us he himself extolled Amir al-Mu'mineen. He excessively talked about Imam Ali. He said that Ali is the door of the city of knowledge. He said the truth is with Ali. And Ali is with the truth. And so many thousands of hadith. Not just one or two. So if you want to accuse anybody of being an extremist in love of Imam Ali, accuse Rasulullah. He's the first extremist in terms of love of Imam Ali. And not even that, if you want to say who's an extremist, in loving Imam Ali, then blame Allah. Because Allah revealed hundreds of ayat about Imam Ali. So if anybody is an extremist in love, it's Allah. He loves Imam Ali to such an extent that many, many, many verses come down about him. So extremism in love is from Allah. And we all, hopefully in this room, we all have an extreme love for Imam Ali. I'm sure we all do. Rasulullah says, when the people used to speak about him and about Imam Ali, they would say, the Quraysh would say, Muhammad has been misled by him, by Ali. And it was at this point, the Sunni scholar, Al-Haskani says in his book, Shawaid al-Tanzil, he says at this point, Allah reveals, Noon wal-qalami wa mayasturun. These verses that we're looking over this Ramadan. And then he says, after Allah takes those two oaths, those two qasams on the pen and what the pen writes, the hadith says, and there was an oath which Allah had taken by saying, Indeed you, O Muhammad, by the grace of your Lord, have not gone insane. 
And indeed you, O Muhammad, you possess an outstanding high standard of moral excellency. What we looked at last night, وَإِنَّكَ لَعَلَى خُلُقٍ عَظِيمٍ And then the hadith goes on to mention, and this is the crux of it. The hadith mentions that this, this مَا أَنْتَ بِنِعْمَةِ رَبِّكَ This ni'mat mentioned in this verse is the Qur'an. And then the hadith says that Allah reaches to the point where Allah says, that surely your Lord knows best those who go away from His path. مَنْ ذَلَّ أَنْ سَبِيلِهِ And the, the hadith says, and that this refers to those people who said what they said about you, meaning the Prophet, and your relationship with Ali ibn Abi Talib. And the part, the part of the verse, وَهُوَ أَعْلَمُ بِالْمُحْتَدِينَ And he knows best those who follow the right guidance. This hadith from a non-Shia scholar, Written a thousand years ago, he says those who are on the path of true guidance, he says that is Ali ibn Abi Talib alayhi salatu wassalam. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala Muhammad. So we see that even in this verse, which you know, I, need, I didn't even have a thought of talking about Imam Ali tonight. But everywhere you look in the Quran, you're inevitably going to find some trace of Imam Ali in the Quran. Places where you don't even think that Imam Ali exists in the Qur'an, he exists in those ayat. I don't see other individuals Allah speaks about at this level of praise. But every time you turn a page in the Qur'an, and this is why we've mentioned so many times in, this, in these gatherings that we need to dedicate our lives to reading and studying the Qur'an. Ramadan is the best time. We gather to read for an hour a night. Maybe some are at home reading for two, three, four hours. Let's dedicate some time to the analysis of these ayat. Because we could have just skipped this and said people who were misguided and guided. And it wouldn't, wouldn't have been a problem. But to see how Allah is speaking about the commander of the faithful, it should also give us some resolve that we are on that right path. We claim to be the Shias of Ali and we have a rightful claim to that title. It shows us that Allah Himself is also confirming that belief. That we as the followers of Amir al-Mu'mineen, not as followers as him as being number four. We don't accept that number. We say he's number one. He was always number one. He was first to be born in the Kaaba, first to believe in Rasulullah, first in every aspect of Islam, and that he was first to be the successor to our beloved Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wa alihi wasallam. Let me conclude with two last points. Just some things for you and I to think about in this collection of three verses of Surah Al-Qalam. Again, chapter 68 of the Noble Qur'an. One point for you and I to think about is that the future will clarify everything for us. We don't have to pass judgment today. You know, a lot of times we want to pass judgment on people. I'm not talking about historical personalities because when it comes to history, I mean, we commemorate Karbala and we pass judgment on certain people. When we recite Ziyarat Ashura, Allahumma al-an awwala zalimin, zalama haqqa Muhammad wa ala Muhammad, thumma thani wa thalith wa rabih, and we curse, we ask Allah to remove His mercy from people like Muawiyah, the cursed, and Yazid, and Ali Abu Sufyan, we're passing judgment. But we can pass judgment on those people because we have license from the Masumin alayhum as-salam. The Prophet and Imams have given us people who we can pass judgment on. And we're not passing judgment. We are saying what they have told us to say. But in our day-to-day -to -day life, today in our community, we have to be very careful. 
You know, sometimes we see somebody doing something and we make a judgment call. We see maybe a boy and a girl in the mall together and we say, well, they're not married, why are they together? And then you begin to spread rumors in the community. Oh, I saw this boy and this girl together eating lunch in the, in the restaurant in the mall. Well, you have no idea why they were there together. You have no idea. Now, we have no idea. We see something, but what we see doesn't necessarily mean what is going through our mind. So as a community of believers, we have to realize we should never pass judgment against things that we even see with our own two eyes. Because we have no idea what's happening. You know? And that becomes a danger because now you are putting, not, you're not doing riba, you're not talking about them, you're putting a false accusation on somebody. And to put a false accusation is worse than speaking the truth about somebody in the form of riba, of backbiting. And so we as a community need to realize that the future, let time go. Let things run as they will on their natural course of things. But when we begin to pass judgment and spread rumors in a community and then this person calls this person and then you go on social media and you start tweeting things that you saw this and you heard that and you, you, know, you witnessed this, this is where the problems begin in a community. And this is where you know, family problems begin. This is where you know, brothers and sisters split from one another. This is where friends don't talk to one another anymore because of rumor mongering, of spreading ills about other people. So we have to be careful that let us let time deal with these issues. Let's let Allah deal with these things. Don't be quick to accuse and condemn people without you knowing the realities. The second and the last point, and we'll end with this, is that we should not presume ourselves to be pious and to think that other people have been deviants from the religion. Because only Allah knows what's in the hearts of each and every person. You know, again, we like to pass judgment. We see a sister who maybe doesn't wear a hijab. And we're quick to point her out and maybe mock her and shame her in the community. But we don't know what's going through her heart. We don't know that she may be facing pressures at home and she can't wear the hijab. We don't know a lot of different things. But what do we do? We say, ah, you know, I saw this girl and she was in the mall and she wasn't wearing hijab. And then we, again, we talk about it. And we say, well, I'm pious. Mashallah, I'm, I'm a good Muslim. Right? I, don't, I, I don't do that. No, but you talk about her in public. You don't know her story. You don't know her situation. Right? And many other things like this. Right? We, and as Allah says in the Quran, وَلَا تُزَكُّوا أَنفُسَكُمْ Don't attribute, attribute piety to yourselves. You know, don't say, I'm holy and pious. I'm such a good believer. Mashallah. You know, I'm protected from sin. This in itself is a form of arrogance and a pride. And arrogance has no place in the kingdom of Allah. This is why Iblis, why Satan was removed from Allah's kingdom of mercy for his pride. What did Iblis say? Ana khayru min. I'm better than this Adam you created. You made me from fire. You made Adam from earth, from the ground, from mud. Right? So we have to be careful that we don't relegate ourselves to be too religious, too ultra-pious. If we're pious, alhamdulillah, keep it to yourself. If you pray namaz al-shab, mashallah, don't come and broadcast it to the community. Don't tweet at three in the morning, mashallah, I just finished namaz al-shab and I prayed for all of you in the community. Mashallah, you pray. Don't go and tell on Twitter that you prayed it. Do what you do in private. Right? Don't, be a, you know, don't boast about it. Yes, there are times in Islam where we should tell people what we do. 
Like the brother just mentioned before me about donating to this cause, to help the widows, orphans, to, to dig a well. You know, imagine a thousand dollars to dig a well, to provide 400 families with water. Right? For you and I, we don't even think about it. We just go to the tap, we turn on the tap, we drink water, we go on with life. We use 80 gallons of water in a normal shower. But can we imagine having to walk two, three, four kilometers just to get water? Just to feed your children? Right? So there are times when we should not brag about it, but do things in the open. Give certain forms of charity in the open. Like in this case. And he's not paying me to say this. This is just coming from myself because he mentioned. I had no idea he was even making the announcement today. But these are the kinds of things where we should compete with one another. Allah tells us in the Qur'an that compete with one another in good actions. Right? To dig a well, to pay for that to be done, we should compete in that. We should have 10 wells contributed by this community. By every community, not this community, by every community in Canada. Because we don't have a problem with water. We, you know, we can go buy a bottle of water, no problem. We should be thinking about, and then, and then I'll end with this last point, that this month of Ramadan is all about giving to the needy. Just now we ended dua iftata, and that short dua that Allahumma adkhil ala ahlil kubura surur. And I talked about it in Juma for those who are here yesterday, that Rasulullah taught us this dua. And you look at the lines of it. Oh Allah, feed the hungry, clothe the people who have no clothing. Allah won't come down mysteriously from the clouds and start to give people clothing and food, this is a conduit for you and I. Allah does things through means. And He expects you and I to read this dua every night, and then sit back and think, well, who's going to take care of the needy tonight? Allah is not going to just throw down food into their fridge. No, we read the dua, and now we should try to live that dua. People don't have food, let's give them iftar tonight. People don't have clothing, let's give them some clothing. People don't have water, let's give them some water. Let's be as a community where we can fulfill these du'as and we can do for ourselves because ultimately it's not about what they will get. Yes, they'll get water, they'll get food, they'll get iftar, but you know what? We get so much more. And I'll end with this, that when Rasulullah talked about what the reward is to feed one person, to give one person food, to break their fast in Ramadan, it's freedom from the fire of hell. Freedom from the fire of hell. Can you imagine that? To feed one person. Now imagine if you could feed a whole family for 30 days. You would never witness the hell. Inshallah, we would never witness the hellfire. Right? We wouldn't even come close to even seeing a flame of the fire of hell. And as I close, let us reach deep down into our hearts and inshallah into our purses and wallets after the program to ensure that we can help those needy people around the world to ensure that we can help the people in our own community also who need help. Let us make sure that we ask Allah to give us the tawfiq, the ability to be able to be the conduits through which we can disperse the blessings that Allah has given to each and every one of us. We ask Allah to give us the ability to help the less fortunate of our community, of our society. We ask Allah to help in the alleviation and the eradication of poverty around the world. We ask Allah to increase all of our knowledge such that we can begin to fully practice what we learn of this religion. And that we can be true helpers and assistants of Imam al-Asr. And that we can be truly worthy of being having that label of being the Shias of Ali. Let us close by remembering the deceased from our communities. The deceased who have been killed around the world in this last week. 
In all the countries around the world, in Kabul, the bombing that happened, even today another bomb exploded in Afghanistan, the killings that have happened in Iraq, in Yemen, in Syria, and in London, England, even this evening, many people have been killed and are injured in London in a massive terrorist attack. Let us remember all of these innocent people with a Surah Mubarakatul Fatiha, but before that, one salawat upon Muhammad, 